welcome to Hebraic Insights in the Gospels. Join us every Sabbath on Zion Road Radio for a look at the life, deeds, and words of Yeshua Messiah and his followers from the Torah-centric Hebraic perspective they were originally lived and written in. Today's program is on Mark chapter 13. Please get out your Bible to follow along. What are the times of the Gentiles? Did the first century believers think they were living in the last days? What's the big picture of how Messiah sees time? Can we know the timing of Bible prophecy? If so, where are we in the timing of biblical prophecy? If no man knows the day or hour, why do the scriptures act like not knowing the time is a sin? Stay tuned through to the end of today's program for Eliyahu Ben David's David's insight on these questions and more in Mark chapter 13. And now, here's Eliyahu Ben David. Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Our theme tonight is Ends of Ages. It's talking about some very cataclysmic times in the past and to come in the future. So this is something that's important for all of us to learn and know and understand. You know, a lifespan is pretty short. and Recently, I was talking with Don about this, and I was talking about how things were in the world when I was a kid. We were really amazed when the first satellite went up into space. It was called Sputnik, and everybody was worried because the Russians had gotten ahead of America. And today... How many satellites are sent up every day? Do you know? It's not even news, is it? There's so many blanketing the sky. The world has changed so much. And one thing that I see in the world is people have a very, very poor understanding of history. And because they don't really understand much about history, and I'm talking even people who should be educated people, right? But this isn't what they're teaching people today. And so they have a very poor understanding of history. I've been a student of history all my life from the standpoint of the scriptures. And what I've learned from history is that things go in cycles. and 
these cycles continue through history. And we are living in a certain cycle today that is really a cycle of catastrophe. This is detailed for us in what is called the Olivet Sermon. This sermon was given by Yeshua Messiah just shortly before his death to tell his disciples then and now about the things that would be coming. This message is very important to us because as you will see as we go through this, this unquestionably applies to our time. So this is from Mark chapter 13, but you will find Matthew's version of this in Matthew 24, which is somewhat more extensive, and Luke's version of this in Luke chapter 21. And having all three of these Gospels is very important because from comparing them, we learn certain things we wouldn't know if we didn't have all of them. And uh, you'll get an example of that tonight. So think about cycles in history, ages in history, and think about how those ages come to an end. That's really what we're talking about tonight. That's what Messiah was talking about. Now, as we go through this, I'm not going to go into each part of the sign that Messiah laid out. So I just want to tell you that right now. The reason I'm not going to go through that is because when we went through Matthew 24, much of this was explained. In the On the Road Design programs, there's more. You'll find this in a lot of our material. We've written articles about it, newsletters about it, lots of information talking about the individual signs. So what we want to talk about tonight is more having to do with the big picture. I want you to understand something about the ages that Yeshua is dealing with here. I want you to get a picture over literally thousands of years. If you can see time that way, you'll have some inkling of how Messiah actually sees time. He is not locked into our short little lifespan. So he is able to tell us about the big picture. And that's what we really need to look at here. Here's how all this came up. It says here in Mark 13, 1 and 2, as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Rabbi, see what kind of stones and what kind of buildings. Now, we've been talking about what was happening this last time that Yeshua went to the temple. Remember, he went there to judge it and to judge the power structure that was represented there. And he did judge them as worthy of destruction. And he told them that. So all of that had just happened now. And he's coming out of the temple. And you know what's happening? His disciples are looking at the buildings and are very impressed with the buildings. Now, somehow it seems to me 
they didn't fully get what Messiah had been saying because they're impressed with the buildings. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? The buildings were impressive, okay? But Yeshua was not impressed with the buildings. He said to them, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone on another, which will not be thrown down. With those words, he foretold the end of what is referred to as the Second Temple, Jewish era or age. When they heard this, they immediately had a question. And I'm sure you would when you heard something so shocking. They said, tell us, when will these things be? What is the sign that these things are all about to be fulfilled? Now compare that to what it has in Matthew. Tell us, when will these things be? And what should be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? So Matthew has things in it that Mark didn't include. Matthew is bigger, quite a bit bigger, includes more information. The word world here is aeon, and it properly means age. Age, not like your birthday age, but an era of time. So it's not the physical world itself, but it's an era of time. As we compare these two verses, when they ask him, when will these things be? They're talking about the end of the second temple era, when the stones of the temple would be totally torn down, like he just said. But then it goes on where it says all these things, we see from Matthew, that's talking about the sign of his coming, his return, and the end of that age at the end of the world. So what we have in his answer to their question is one sign that is talking about the end of two different ages. Can you see that? Because they specifically asked him about two different ages. So that's what he's answering. Now, a lot of people don't pick up on this, so they get very confused as they read through these verses. And they say, well, is this talking about back then? Or is this talking about the very last days before he comes? And the answer is yes. It's talking about both. That's more simple, isn't it, when you understand that? Now, here's some confirmation from the Apostle Paul. And here he's talking about what happened with the failings of ancient Israel 
And he says, now all these things happened to them by way of example, and they were written for our admonition on whom the ends of the ages have come. You see, Paul understood the big picture. And he knew he wasn't just speaking for people living during that age. He was actually looking forward to this age at the end of the world when Yeshua would return. So he doesn't say the end of the age. He literally says the ends of the ages. Paul believed exactly what I just explained to you. Why not? He had that information from the Olivet Sermon. He understood that it was talking about two different ages. So that's what he's talking about. So, you know, a lot of times people say, well, the believers in the first century, they thought that that was going to be the end and that Yeshua was going to return then. They say that because they'll find things in the scriptures where the believers back then used terms like the last days. We're living near the end. So they think that that means that those believers thought that they were living in the very last days. But say they knew they were living at the end or near the end of that Jewish age they were in. That was the last days for that generation. So, again, people don't rightly understand much in the scriptures because they don't have the bigger view of history. They don't understand Yahweh's time, and they make big mistakes. Obviously, Paul wasn't seeing things that way. He saw the ends of the ages. He saw that those ages had much in common. They both were completing cycles and would have similar signs and would benefit similarly from the examples in Scripture. Well, now let's look at Mark 13, 14. In Mark 13, 14, Mark says this. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Matthew says the same thing. It mentions the abomination of desolation. But in Luke, when it's talking about the same thing, it says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is at hand. So because we have Luke, we know that in this case, the abomination of desolation that Messiah is talking about is Jerusalem surrounded by armies. Now, why is it that Matthew and Mark are using a sort of code? You have to know what the abomination of desolation is, don't you, in order to understand what's being said. Whereas later, Luke is just telling us right out what it is. Well, it's because Luke wrote later after these other two, and it wasn't an issue anymore. There was no reason not to come right out and say it. But when 
Matthew and Mark were written, there was potential danger talking about this. And so biblical prophecy code was actually used to talk to one another. We ought to think about that because having our own language based on the scriptures, having our own time based on the scriptures is a protection for us against the enemies as we move closer into the last days. And realize everything in these verses tell us the whole world is going to hate you. Get used to that idea. It's going to get a lot worse than it is right now. And you're going to have to worry about what you say in front of people. And you know, it might be a good time to start practicing some of that. Now, let's talk about the timing in that generation when Messiah was talking to them, okay? In Mark 13, 30, Messiah says, Most certainly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things happen. Now, as this applies to that era they were in, when he says this generation, what generation is he talking about? Well, isn't he talking about his own generation and people who are contemporaneous with him? Let's take a look at Messiah's generation. Messiah was born in the fall of 2 BC. Now we have a radio program along with diagrams and charts and so on that totally prove this beyond a doubt. If you want that information, just let us know, and we'll give that to you. So the next year in 1 BC, Messiah turns one year old. There is no zero year. So after 1 BC, you are immediately in 1 AD. And Messiah is still one year old. And he doesn't turn two until the fall of 1 AD. So that means for most of the year, 1 AD, he's still one. You follow me? So when it turns two AD, how old is he? He's two, right? When he's three, he turns three in the fall of 2 AD. But for most of that year, after he turns three, it is then going to be 3 AD. As of January, right? The Roman time we're talking about. So down through history, whatever year of our Lord this is, tracks at the beginning of that year with Messiah's birth age. So it's very simple to track the years since Messiah was born. That means that at age 70, it would be 70 AD. Now, here's another chart that I made up that has some of the important events that happened during that. 70-year period. 
starting with Messiah's birth and ending with the destruction of the city of Jerusalem with its temple. Here, we're going to explain the larger eras that we're dealing with. Now, I'm going to start with the previous Jewish era so that you can kind of see how this works. In the previous Jewish era, that era resulted in the building of the first temple by Solomon. But during that Jewish era, it had already begun before the temple was built, okay? Now, what happened was the people turned badly away and against Yahweh. And he continually tried to make them come back, but you know what? They kept wanting to be like the world. They kept wanting to go after other gods and do all the things against the commandments. And they became such a stench that Yahweh's own temple and city became offensive to him because it was tearing down his name. And he told them that would have to be destroyed in order to protect his own great name. So, in 587 B.C., he sent the Babylonians to destroy Jerusalem. This is secular history as well as biblical history. Some Jews had already been deported by the Babylonians, but now this whole process was finished, and all but a few stragglers, considered totally unimportant, were deported off of the land in exile in Babylon. That was an end of that Jewish era. Is that easy to tell? The end of Jerusalem, the end of the temple, the people no longer on the land. That was the end of that Jewish era. Interestingly, the scriptures prophesy that the Israelites, the Jews, would be exiled from the land for one generation for 70 years. Here's how it worked out. In 539, Babylon fell to the Persians. The Persians were nice to the Jews. Good folks, really. And they said, well, you can send people back to your city. You can rebuild your temple. But you know what? Most of the people didn't want to go. They had gotten used to Babylon. And they liked it. A lot like the believers in the world today, isn't it? How many of them are going to go home with us in the second exodus? A few, comparatively. A remnant who care more about spiritual things than being like the world. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Do you see what I'm saying about cycles? So anyway, a very small remnant returned. And they encountered lots of difficulties because there were other people there now. You don't just leave for 70 years and not have anybody else move in, right? 
So they had lots of difficulties trying to regain their place. And eventually they were able to rebuild their temple, which at that time really marked a new beginning of the Jews in Jerusalem. That's what they had been working for. Finally, they accomplished that in 516 BC after one generation of 70 years. Well, in 516 BC then, it was the beginning of a new Jewish era. And the temple in Jerusalem and the Jews now having control of that is what marked the beginning of that era. Are you following me? Jerusalem. That's what we're talking about. That made Jerusalem Jewish once again. Jerusalem is Yahweh's time clock. 516 B.C. They get to 2 B.C. That's a long time later, isn't it? Hundreds of years. There's prophecies telling about the time. We're not getting into all those tonight. But the people were dull. Most of them didn't get what's happening. It took people from the east who weren't even from Jerusalem to know and understand what was going on when Messiah was born into B.C. Magi from a distant land in the east saw the signs in the sky and came to Jerusalem seeking the Messiah. They should have known. That era continued. But they were at the end of the age. They had arrived at the end of the age. They didn't act like it. Luke 19, 41 through 44, we have these verses. Speaking of Messiah, it says, He wept over Jerusalem, saying, If you, even you, had known today the things which belong to your peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come on you, on you, when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you, surround you, hem you in on every side, and will dash you and your children within you to the ground. They will not leave in you one stone on another, because you didn't know the time of your visitation. Think about that. They were being visited from heaven by the Son of God, and they did not know the time of their visitation. And because of that, look what would happen to them. Destruction was going to fall upon them. It is a sin not 
to know the prophetic time when you should know it. And there are consequences to not knowing. And we're going to see that as we progress here in the book of Mark. The time of Messiah's visitation, his generation did not pass away until his words had been fulfilled. He said this, most certainly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things happen. Look at this. July 29 and 30, 70 AD. Tishbeav, the ninth day of the fifth month. The temple was destroyed, followed by the destruction of Jerusalem. This is exactly the same day on the Hebrew calendar that the earlier temple had been destroyed by Babylon. Is that a coincidence? I think not. This occurred within the 70th year of Messiah's generation. Just two and a half months later, the date flipped. And Messiah would have turned 71. Was his word fulfilled? I think that's quite precise, isn't it? That's the end of that Jewish age. You see, the thing is, when you know history, and you know the scriptures, you can't be fooled. Nobody could set that up, right? Is some guy that hates the Bible going to go to the Romans and say, listen, you've got to go in there and attack them exactly in 70, exactly on this day? Doesn't happen like that, does it? It's history here showing you how Yahweh is in control of history itself. His prophecy is not wrong. Mark 13, 14, when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, and he says, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. You see, when destruction fell on Jerusalem, everybody who was caught in there was in trouble. Over a million people. According to one estimate, three million people were killed by the Romans. And many more were taken into captivity. And quite a few, a lot of people, died of famine during the siege. And some pretty awful things happened in there. It's a horrible story. It's absolutely a horrible story. And it's all laid out in horrible detail by Flavius Josephus in his War of the Jews. So, Yeshua 
was giving them a warning, telling them what to look for before that fell on that land. So he tells them, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And we already saw in Luke that it says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies. So that's really what it was. What the abomination of desolation was, is Jerusalem surrounded by armies. Now, it's amazing how this happened. Sestius Gallus came with the Roman troops and surrounded Jerusalem. This was in 66. And it looked for all the world like the whole thing was going to go down right then because the whole city was surrounded and it looked like it was on right then. But then, you know what happened? Josephus says, for no good reason in the world, Sestius Gallus and his troops just left. They just picked up and left. And the believers said to themselves, well, that's amazing. And you know what they did? They said, wow, that's the sign. Let's pick up our stuff and get out of here. Isn't that amazing? That's history. That's history telling you that God is in control of history. That's history telling you that you must believe Bible prophecy to save your own life. Are you following what I'm saying? Realize that in this case, the believers had to understand what the abomination of desolation is in this context in the book of Daniel. That's why it says, let the reader understand. The believers had to understand Bible prophecy and act on it to be saved. What about these people that say, well, I don't follow Bible prophecy because nobody can understand that stuff. What would happen if these brothers and sisters had done that? What if they said, oh, Daniel's too deep for me. I can't really spend any time in Daniel. What would have happened to them? Yeshua gave them a clear sign. When they saw it, they needed to act on it if they were going to survive. Now, I don't know that this happened, but I bet you there are some believers there that said, oh, well, my Aunt Betsy is here, and she's not going to leave, so I'm not going to leave either. Oh, well, I don't know. This trip looks too rigorous for my cat to come with me, so I think I'm going to stay where I am. They did that. They died or became slaves. Serious. Some of them might say, oh, well, Yahweh will protect me if I stay here. Don't be that dumb. If you do not obey his word, expect to get the same thing the world gets. Here's proof from history as to what happened. 
This is from a church historian from the 4th century. So he's writing it from a Gentile Christian perspective. He says, The people, Nazareans, of the church in Jerusalem were commanded by an oracle given by revelation before the war to those in the city who were worthy of it to depart and dwell in one of the cities of Perea, which they called Pella. To it, those who believed in Christ traveled from Jerusalem, so that when holy men had altogether deserted the royal capital of the Jews and the whole land of Judea, the judgment of God at length overtook those who had committed such outrages against Christ and his apostles and totally destroyed that generation of impious men. Don't you think this is remarkable? Don't you think this is like one of the most important things that ever happened in history? Messiah came. He told them that that generation would see this end of Jerusalem. He gave the sign to his followers, and here we have a historical account that they listened to what he said, they acted on it when they saw the sign, and they were saved, and the rest of Judea suffered this heavy end. Now, this is interesting. After that had happened, Okay, in the next century. So we're talking maybe 60 or 70 years later. The Gentile church broke off from those Nazarene believers and labeled them as heretics. There were a lot more Gentiles then. So you know, people regard the original group as being the heretics and the Christians that broke away as being the continuation. And it was actually the very opposite, right? Isn't that interesting? Another church historian wrote this about it. This heresy of the Nazareans exists in the Decapolis in the region of Pella, from there it took its beginning after the exodus from Jerusalem when all the disciples went to live in Pella because Christ had told them to leave Jerusalem and to go away since it would undergo a siege. Because of this advice, they lived in Perea after having moved to that place, as I said. So he's calling the believers who obeyed Yeshua Messiah heretics. So who are the real heretics? The Nazareans were the original Messiah followers who were saved by obeying him. The Gentile church broke away from the original group. And what did they give us? The Roman church and the dark ages and all the lies of Christendom. It's not hard to figure out who the real believers are and why we need to get out of the pagan church system. Well, that gives you the picture, I think, pretty well 
of that Jewish age. Now you understand there had been an earlier Jewish age, and that one didn't end well either. There was a generation there for them to get their act together. Then there was another Jewish age. We just talked about the end of that, when Messiah came, right? One generation of 70 years, giving them a time to repent, giving those who would listen a chance to be separated out from those who were going to receive the judgment. That's exactly what happened during that time period. And then in the end, kabam. Luke 21 puts it like this. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is at hand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, where they fled to Pella. This is in the mountains of Syria. Let those who are in the midst of her depart. Let those who are in the country not enter therein. For these are days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. Woe to those who are pregnant, and to those who nurse infants in those days. For there will be great distress in the land, and wrath to this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword, and will be led captive into all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled down by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. This is so simple that it amazes me that people don't understand this. It is so simple. What Yeshua is telling us is, that era, that age of the Jews in Jerusalem was going to meet a violent and bloody end. Isn't that easy to say? And then they were going to be led captive into all the nations. Did that prediction come true? And then it says, Jerusalem will be trampled down by the Gentiles. Did that happen? Was there now a new age, an era, where Jerusalem was trampled down by the Gentiles? Did that happen? And was that age ever at a point where it was fulfilled? In other words, that Gentile age was at an end, which implies then a new Jewish age, doesn't it? Doesn't it? 70 A.D. Jerusalem was destroyed. All that we talked about happened. It was the Romans that did it. And now Jerusalem was in their hands. And it is true that later, in the second century, there were some Jews that tried to mount opposition to try and get Jerusalem back again. But that failed. Later, the Byzantines, Christians, had a period of time where they ruled over Jerusalem. 
Later, there were Muslim conquests, and this kind of different Muslims did this. And then, of course, there were their Christian crusaders that took Jerusalem. The Mamelukes and Ottomans, Muslims, took Jerusalem. And in 1917, the British took it at the end or near the end of World War I. And finally, in 1948 to 1967, it was under the control of the country of Jordan. You see why it uses the language, the times of the Gentiles? Because there were different times here, a lot of different Gentiles. And the scriptures are very specific in the word choice. Jerusalem will be trampled down by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Well, what would you expect to happen when the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled? Knowing the history, wouldn't that mean you have a Jewish Jerusalem again? Times of the Gentiles are over. You have a Jewish Jerusalem again. What we're talking about is the liberation of Jerusalem. June 7th, 1967. Can anybody argue with that? The Six-Day War. I was a young man when this happened. It was one of the most amazing things anybody had ever seen. It was all over the news, and it truly was incredible. The Jews were once again in control of Jerusalem, and they still are. Jerusalem will be trampled down by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So what does this mark? Does it not mark a new Jewish era in Jerusalem? Mark 13 goes on from this point. As a matter of fact, each of these goes on here. But we're looking at Mark's version right now. It says, in those days after the oppression, that is, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will be falling from the sky, and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. Well, all of these things are signs that are also mentioned by the Old Testament prophets, things that happen right before Yeshua's return. Goes on, then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out his angels and will gather together his chosen ones from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the sky. So how does this third age of a Jewish Jerusalem end? It ends with the return of Yeshua Messiah. 
That's how it ends. It goes on and it tells us some more here to help us understand about the time. Now, what you're looking at is a picture of an early fig. This is when, in the spring, the leaves are sprouting, blossoms come out, but there are some early figs that are edible. Now, from the fig tree, learn this parable. When the branch has now become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that the summer is near. Even so, you also, when you see these things coming to pass, know that it is near at the doors. Let's uh, go through this. Now, Gill's commentary has a nice explanation of what this is saying. It says, when its branch is yet tender, Gill writes, through the influence of the sun and the motion of the sap, which was bound up and congealed in the winter season. And my comment here, bound up in the winter. The winter is this long period of the Gentile times, right? But sap is now flowing. Israel is once again in the land. And puts forth leaves, and Gil writes, from the tender branches, which swell and open and put forth buds, leaves, and fruit. And I put new growth. New growth. Could this be the returning remnant of Israel? And it goes on, you know, the summer is nigh, spring being already come. In other words, the fig tree putting forth her green figs is a sign that the winter is past, spring has already come, and summer is at hand. So I think this is where people make a mistake about the fig tree. A lot of times they say, well, the fig tree is Israel, and the beginning of the generation has to be then when Israel became a nation. But when you look at the words more closely, what this is telling you is that the sign occurs when it's already springtime. In other words, there's already evidence of Israel in the land. So it's later than the very beginning. And a couple Sabbaths ago, I brought up this about figs, which was from a presentation in Matthew. And it's not exactly correct to say, well, figs picture Israel. They don't just picture Israel. They picture rotten Israel and righteous Israel, right? And according to Jeremiah, the good figs are the figs that are the first ripe figs. The spring figs, the ones, by coincidence, that Messiah is talking about in his parable. The first ripe figs we have seen picture the righteous remnant of Israel. So, this portion of Scripture is not exactly talking about what people think it's talking about. It's really talking about the remnant springing up. And this is a late sign. It happens relatively late in the process. It's happening now, and we're pretty late in the process. It's spring. And when this 
fully happens, when it's finished, summer is near. It's at the doors, it says. In other words, we're there. When the remnant of Israel are raised up and they return to the land, it is a very short period for all of the end-time events to tick off very rapidly and for the Messiah to return. Mark 13, 32, and 33. But of that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Watch, keep alert, and pray, for you don't know when the time is. Well, we've talked about this before. This phrase, that day or that hour, no one knows, actually refers to one of the feasts. Yom Teruah. We can never know exactly what day it's going to be because it falls at the end of the dark of the moon. And that period can be two days or it can be three days. So the only way you can know when it comes is by watching. This is all about watching here. This is Yeshua Messiah telling us he's going to come at a feast of trumpets, but it's also him telling us we need to watch. Now he says, you don't know when the time is. Does that mean you can never know when the time is? Interesting question, isn't it? Mark 13, 35 through 37, watch therefore, You don't know when the Lord of the house is coming, whether at evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he might find you sleeping. What I tell you, I tell all, watch. He said, no one knows the day or the hour. And here, as an example, he gives us hours of a single day. He doesn't use a metaphor of months or years. He's using a metaphor of hours in a single day. What do you think we're going to be doing when we get to that Yom Teruah? I don't know about you, but I'm not going to be sleeping. I'm going to be watching. Here's from 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 through 4. For you yourselves know well that the day of the Lord comes like a thief in the night. For when they are saying peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come on them like birth pangs on a pregnant woman, and they will in no way escape. But you brothers aren't in darkness, that the day should overtake you like a thief. Well, this stacks up pretty well with what we saw with Messiah's generation, doesn't it? They had all these signs. They had a particular sign to look for, a prophetic sign. So they didn't know when it was going to happen. But then once they saw the prophetic sign, did they then know it was about to happen? They did, didn't they? You see, For a period of time, people might not know. But then when the prophetic signs happen, 
then we're going to start to know, aren't we? Have you thought about this? The months of anti-Messiah's reign define the time with certainty. When we get there into the tribulation, we know that the anti-Messiah is going to rule for 42 months. This is expressed in prophecy in a number of different places. Three and a half years, three and a half times, 42 months. It's given to us in different ways so we can know exactly the time. So when anti-Messiah's reign starts, will we not then know the time when Messiah is going to come? Isn't that a lot like what happened in the first century when they saw the armies? So you see, when he says no one knows, it doesn't mean forever nobody will know. Certainly when it happens, they'll know. Back up three and a half years when the Antichrist is in power, they'll know. What about backing up some more? Are there other prophecies that will tell us the time? Not the day or the hour, but the time so we can be ready. Well, we're not in darkness like the world. It should not catch us like a thief. As we've already seen, not knowing the time is a sin that can get you killed. We will need to know the time. The final generation. That's the generation we're in that started in 1967. Yeshua said, most certainly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things happen. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. End of the Gentile times. End of the age. One generation. Two times before us, when the end of the age was ticking off, we had a generation of 70 years. You do the math. Here's a chart that I adapted a little bit that was from a presentation in 2015. We have this on DVD and other places, should you want to have it. And I'm not going to explain it all, but what it's showing here is the biblical Shemitah cycles since 1967. And what you have is 10 Shemitah cycles. That's what's showing here, because 10 Shemitah cycles is 70 years. Very interestingly, on each Shemitah year, which is the seventh year, which is a biblically significant time in Yahweh's cycle, he counts time in seven-year cycles. And the seventh year is a Sabbath year, just like the seventh day is a Sabbath day. And these days and years are very significant. And if you look at these Shemitah years, through this time period, 
since 1967, what you find is major events happened relative to Israel. And you also find major events happened relative to the whole world in some cases. The last Shemitah year was 2015. And it was a doozy, spiritually speaking. It was an amazing year, spiritually speaking. And remember that star I talked about that shone and was the sign that Messiah had come? Well, we had a repeat of that same star in 2015. Just an accident? Just chance? Well, actually not. If you look at my Daniel seminar, which you can view free at the Zion.net website, you'll find out about that Messiah star. And you'll find out what it means. A lot happened in 2015. Well, now, next Schmidt year is 2022. There's only two more after that. And the last one, interestingly, falls upon the very 70th year since 1967. We have two and a half Schmitter cycles left in that time period that I have charted out. This generation will not pass away. The home stretch is ahead of us. You think you should change your life at all? you think you should talk to Yahweh about it at all? About what this means for you? If you want to know, he will make that known to you. Mark 13, 13, our closing verse. He who endures to the end, the same will be saved. And that's the ends of the ages. You have been listening to Hebraic Insights in the Gospels. Some of the scripture verses referenced in today's program include verses in Mark 13, Matthew 24, and Luke 21, as well as references from 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11, Luke chapter 19, verse 41 through verse 44, Jeremiah 24, verse 1 through verse 2, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 2 through verse 4, and Revelation chapter 13, verse 5. References made from other resources include 
Eusebius, Church History, Book Three, Chapter Five, Line Three, Epiphanius Panarion, Twenty Nine, Part Seven, Line Seven through Line Eight, and Gill's Commentary on Mark Chapter Thirteen. Further teachings and study materials on this topic, the sect of the Nazarenes, and the history of early believers, the Gentile Schism, the fall of Jerusalem, the times of the Gentiles. The Ages of the World, the Shmita Cycle, Yom Teruah, the Calendar of the Bible, and the Biblical Feasts, along with their significance and meaning, Messiah's Birthday, Messiah's Birth Year, the Anti-Messiah and His Reign, Daniel and the Prophets, and Enduring to the End, along with many other related topics, can be found at our membership site, Zion Tabernacle. Sign up is free. Just go to Zion.net. That's T S I Y O N dot N E T. New programs on the Gospels will be airing every Sabbath on Zion Road Radio. Tune in next Shabbat to learn more from Hebraic insights in the Gospels. Shabbat Shalom. The restoration of the remnant of Israel is one of the most undertaught, neglected, and unknown major events in Bible prophecy. A strange fact, since prophecies and references to this event can be found all throughout almost every major book of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. Now, Yahweh has raised up Zion Ministry to teach His remnant nation of Israel everything they need to know about this often neglected truth in His perfect timing. To learn who the remnant of Israel is, what the Zion mission is, and why we teach the things we do, go to our website at zion.org and click on Remnant Vision in the menu bar. That's T-S-I-Y-O-N dot O-R-G.